Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode, I've prepared a Bible study for us on Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. This is the story of Jesus calming the sea, and it's our, dis, um, our assigned gospel reading for this coming Sunday. Sunday, June 20th, this is the story that we will read together. And so I hope you enjoy it. I hope that this is helpful and gives you some new insights as you prepare to listen to the sermon and come to worship this weekend, wherever you might be. Uh, as always, thanks for your support of the podcast. Thanks for continuing to show up and listen to these audio recordings that I've been putting together. Uh, please tell your family, tell your friends, let other people know that this is a great way to be uh, buoyed in your walk of faith between Sunday. Yeah, well, how do we live out our faith the other days of the week? Our hope is that this podcast can provide you with some continual grounding in your faith on the weekdays, shall we say. Uh I think that's all the details that you need to know. Let's get to the Bible study, shall we? Here we are, Bible study from Mark chapter 4. Hey everybody, here's a Bible study based on Mark 4, 35 through 41. This is the assigned gospel text for Sunday, June the 20th, 2021. And it's a really interesting story, one of those famous miracle stories of Jesus. And it's a different kind of miracle. Uh, it's sort of in a category all by itself. This is when Jesus calms the sea. And you think about Jesus' miracles, and you've got him doing lots of healing, many, many healing miracles. There's also the exorcism miracles, which are slightly different than the healing when Jesus is casting out demons. And then you've also got some like miraculous feeding ones where Jesus, Jesus feeds 5,000 people or 4,000 people or even where he turns water into wine that kind of has a feeding element to it. But this one is a category all by itself. It's Jesus calming the sea. It's Jesus presenting power over nature. And that's significant. We're going to talk about why that's so significant in just a little bit here. But just wanted to start by giving us that context of really thinking about this in a different way. This is showing Jesus's power in a totally different category. And so all of the events that we're going to be reading about in these six verses from Mark's fourth chapter are taking place at the Sea of Galilee. And in Mark's gospel, the Sea of Galilee is kind of the focal point. It seems that a lot of stuff happens in and around the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus will teach by the sea and he'll share parables. He will also get out of the boat and feed thousands of people. The feeding of the 5,000 happens here. Um, he casts out demons and he calls the 12 disciples. This all takes place in the region near the Sea of Galilee. Only thing is that Sea of Galilee, there's kind of two sides to the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus in Mark's gospel is consistently going back and forth from one side to the other. And that's often indicating a, a scene change for us. Oh, something's happening. He has to go to the other side of the sea for whatever comes next. And really, one side of the sea was more of a Gentile area. And another side of the sea was more of a Jewish area. But Jesus's ministry was to all people. And that's really part of Mark's point is highlighting the fact that Jesus did ministry on both sides of the sea. Um, but this particular story, as we know, is going to take place in the in-between, in, on, on the sea itself. And what's also kind of interesting, because uh, we're really going to see this in the passage today, 
is that all the stuff that Jesus does in and around the Sea of Galilee, one of the key features is that Jesus's disciples are constantly unaware (laughs) of what's going on. They show a lack of faith again and again. They get in Jesus's way. They don't understand what's going on. And Mark is just kind of highlighting the the nature of the disciples, that they were continually oblivious to what's happening. But that's all actually set up, too. All of this in the first half of Mark's gospel is the disciples not understanding, or rather slowly coming to understand who Jesus is and what he's about. Before we even get into the Mark passage, I want to read for you, the turning point. So Mark's gospel is 16 chapters long. So that means that Mark chapter 8 is the absolute middle of Mark's gospel. And that's significant because it is the turning point that actually takes place in Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27, we hear this. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. So, Jesus is finally recognized for who he truly is in the eighth chapter of Mark. Everything that comes before that is the lead up is Jesus revealing to his disciples and to the people in the regions around the Sea of Galilee who he actually is. He's the Messiah, the one that's been promised to them, the one that they've been waiting for, the one that's going to fix all of this broken world through his actions. And so all of these miracles that take place in the teachings, everything that happens in the first eight chapters of Mark is all helping, you know, Jesus revealing slowly his power and his capabilities so that Peter can have that revelation, so that the disciples can finally see, they can have that epiphany, that aha moment of who Jesus actually is and what he's come to do. So today's reading is part of that buildup. It's part of that revelation, part of Jesus revealing his power and capabilities. And it will all lead up to that moment in the eighth chapter of Mark where Peter will finally get it. And then things will really shift in Mark's gospel and Jesus will set his sights on Jerusalem. Now that his disciples at least understand who he is and what he's come for, now he can set his sights on Jerusalem and what he has to accomplish there. All right, let's get into the reading itself, though. That was all just helpful preamble, I think, um, because it helps us understand why this miracle is so important. It's not like Jesus was healing anyone or, you know, showing compassion to individuals. Why is it important to know that Jesus can have power over nature and the sea? Well, let's jump into it. Here we are, Mark chapter 4. We start at verse 35. When evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. Okay, so Jesus is on one side of the sea. There's a great crowd that's been gathered there. Uh, Lots of people. His popularity has been growing. And now they're headed to the other side. So this is a, a, a a, a scene change. 
that, that we're kind of being brought into here with Mark. Then go on to verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Storms are rising up on the sea while they're sailing across. The word for storm here is actually the exact same word for whirlwind that we hear in Job chapter 38 verse 1. That Job passage is also the assigned Old Testament reading for this Sunday. And it's a word that carries with it demonic overtones. So there was this real sense in those days that certain elements of nature, certain things that happened in the natural world were actually forces of Satan at work. And so the word being used in Job's passage about the whirlwind and the word being used here about the storm, all of that is kind of creating this sense that there is an opposing force to Jesus and God's power in the world. And sometimes that opposes in nature. So this is a demonic storm. This is the powers of the devil that are at work on the sea that night, Mark is saying to us. Here's what's also interesting. I want to remind us that many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. So they were used to being out on the sea. And so the fact that we have this story about a storm rising up while they're sailing across, it makes us believe it must have been a really bad storm. Because if it was just, you know, a little windy or a little choppy, the fishermen disciples would have been used to that. They would have known how to handle it. They wouldn't have been afraid of it. But the fact that it's a storm and that they're terrified by everything that's going on really makes us believe this was one heck of a storm. If, if even the disciple fishermen were unsettled by it, man, there must have been a lot going on there. So let's hear what happens. This is verse 38. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the disciples, again, are clearly terrified by what's going on. But Jesus, he's just, he's totally chill about it. He doesn't care. He was taking a nap in the front of the ship. It's funny that they say he was in the stern because you got to think that that probably would have been a really choppy part of the boat. You know, you just think about how a boat goes along on the water um, when it's choppy like that. It's often the ends of the boat that jo are jostled the most. But Jesus, no, doesn't bother him. He's just asleep at the stern. I want to read you um, quickly here. Uh, part of the book of Jonah, just because there's some interesting parallels to what happens um, in that book, of, that book about Jonah and the way that we see the disciples here. Because if you'll remember, Jonah doesn't want to do what God asks him to do. And so Jonah runs away, gets on a ship, and then there's a huge storm on the ship. And so this is Jonah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps your God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. Isn't that fascinating? Do you see the parallels there? Jonah's asleep in, on the bottom of the boat, just as Jesus was asleep on the bottom of the boat. And um, the, the fishermen, the mariners that Jonah's with are like, don't you care that we're perishing? Ask God to help us. 
just kind of as the disciples go to Jesus and say like, hey, don't you care that we're perishing? You should help us. The interesting twist though, what Mark is already kind of baking in to the way he tells this story, there's a lot of parallels to the Jonah, Jonah passage, except for the fact that the disciples come to Jesus and ask for him to do something about this demonic force that is the storm rocking the boat and putting them in grave danger. Mark is leading us just subtly to recognize and understand that Jesus is God incarnate. The mariners in the Jonah story are asking Jonah, hey, pray to your God, maybe your God will help us. But in the gospel passage that we're reading from Mark, the disciples come to Jesus and ask him to do something. This is really the overall point of this passage is that Jesus has command over the powers of nature. Jesus has command over these demonic storms because Jesus is God incarnate. All of the little details that we're working with in the lead up to Mark chapter 8 that I read to you earlier, all of that is helping reveal to the disciples that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate in human flesh here on earth. And so this little tiny parallel to Jonah helps us see that, helps Mark make that point in a small, subtle way. You might remember, too, one of the interesting things. It was a common practice in those days for mariners to plead to God for help. That was, you know, often we saw the mariners and Jonas, the disciples are pleading. And even if you think about the naval hymn. The, the hymn that our Naval Academy sings, and we actually sing it um, in worship sometimes. It's a, it's a Christian hymn. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. Being a fisherman is tough work. Being out and sailing on the sea is dangerous work. And so you trust in God and cry to God for help. That's a common theme. And as I've already been saying, this is Mark's way of helping us see that Jesus is God, just in the way that the disciples interact with them. So at this point in Mark's Gospels, what we also see is that the disciples do not fully believe that Jesus can save them. Jesus, they they come to him in the stern and at the cushion and they wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Mark's subtly telling us that they're coming to him for help because a fisherman goes to God for help when they're in trouble. But the disciples are expressing a lack of faith in their question, which is a common theme in the first eight chapters of Mark. The disciples don't get it. They don't fully believe in Jesus's capabilities or in Jesus's status as the Messiah and Son of God. Okay, back to the text. Here we are at verse 39. Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. To this point in Mark's gospel, up until chapter 4, Jesus has performed miracles that other healers or magicians might have been capable of at that time. There were always people in town who could heal the sick or cast out demons. That was kind of a common theme in those days. But here we see Jesus' command over nature. And this is something totally different. This is a whole new category that would not have been common in those days. Jesus rebukes the wind and says to the sea, be still. So it's again 
creating this type of dynamic where Jesus is at odds with this storm. It's a confrontation. Rebuking is something that you do to a person. (laughs) And, And then speaking to the sea is something you do to a person. But that's all part of the way that Mark is writing the story. As I said, the word for storm has this real demonic overtone to it in the particular word that Mark chose. And so this is also part of how this um, story of Jesus coming the seas being presented is that Jesus has power over nature. And, and really, ultimately, Jesus has power over the forces of evil, the satanic forces at work in the world. He rebukes the wind, just as Jesus rebukes the devil when he's in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. It's all bringing together that the storm is a force of chaos and destruction, and yet Jesus has power over it. Okay, let's get along to verse 40. Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Again, Mark is constantly categorizing the disciples as lacking faith, not fully understanding. Jesus calls that out directly here. The disciples simply do not believe yet that Jesus is the Son of God. As we know, it's going to take them all the way till chapter 8 to figure that out, that Jesus has power over evil and chaos and the forces of Satan. They, the disciples didn't follow the typical fisherman liturgy of pleading to a deity. It was subtly different. Don't you care, they say. A typical fisherman liturgy would have been to ask God for help. And they went to Jesus and simply said, you don't even seem to care. It's a really subtle literary thing that Mark does here, but it's really neat to kind of consider the full weight of that. It's it's Mark again revealing to us like this is what you should do jesus is the son of god but also at the same moment showing us that the disciples don't yet believe that they need to witness more okay verse 41 and the disciples were filled with great awe and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him again the disciples still don't understand. <laughs> They're so close to getting it, but they don't fully get it quite yet. They're left with a question, not a statement of faith. They are recognizing, gosh, he has all sorts of power that even the sea obeys him, but it's still not enough for them to fully connect the dots. Now, here's the thing. Here's why it's so important. Mark's gospel, as I said, over the next several chapters will be more healing stories of Jesus, more miracles. And it's all slowly revealing to the disciples who he is. That's part of what Jesus has to do is help the disciples understand just the amount of power that he possesses and his status as the son of God, God incarnate, the Messiah, the Christ, the one in whom resolution can be found. All of that has to become revealed to the disciples. They have to fully understand it. And then once they get it in Mark chapter 8, then Jesus turns his focus towards Jerusalem. Because part of Jesus's mission is the complete relinquishing of all this power. The disciples have to understand just how great and mighty and powerful Jesus is so that the full weight of his crucifixion will be felt by them. So that they'll understand the full 
uh, example, the, the, the full yeah, weight of Jesus's sacrifice, the full significance of that sacrifice. Jesus is God incarnate and Jesus willingly dies for us. Jesus's power is most fully revealed through the relinquishing, the complete denial of all his power. That is the backwards way of the gospel, but that is so much of what Mark's gospel is trying to help us all fully understand. The disciples need to get the details, and it takes them a long time to get there. And then once they do, the whole gospel shifts, and Jesus' entire focus comes on letting all that power go, because that is the way of God. Friends, this is good stuff, isn't it? Gosh, I love this story, um, particularly because of the way that it helps us understand some of the bigger narrative that's going on in Mark's gospel. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something new. Um, Pastor Gary is preaching this Sunday. I'm sure he'll do a great job with that passage, but maybe if you listen to this before then, you'll have some other interesting insights as part of it. All of this is just a way, again, we want these podcasts to help you in your daily walk of faith on the days between Sunday for you to have some different items that can inspire and convict and give you hope in the midst of a strange world. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay in peace.